Right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. You watching online, glad you could join us. We are glad and thankful to God to provide this essential service this morning. You know, health service is important. Uh, public service is important. Educational service is important. But spiritual service is the most important, I believe. And maybe selfishly I'm saying that because that's what I'm doing for a job. But understand, in these times, we need something more than just a pill, than masks, than isolation orders. We need to know that God is with us. And that's why it's so good that you're here, you're watching online, because we need wisdom to navigate through life in this season in which we're living. But it's the truth is that for the last 3,000 years since the book of Ecclesiastes was written, that people have been looking for the same thing. We need wisdom for the circumstances we find ourselves in. And so as we come to close to the end of the book, next week is, is our conclusion. And, and it's, it's awesome because he finally wraps it all up and, and gets to the point. The preacher has, has elaborated and waxed eloquently. And, and this is what he's doing in chapter 10 and 11 that we're dealing with today. He's just, and I, I'm, I'm reading it, I'm studying it. And, and the problem is in preaching, they tell you to find a coherent single theme or thrust or, or intention of the passage and, and go with it. And as, I, as you go through chapter 10 and 11, He's simply talking about life from its multifaceted angles and perspectives. There's not one dominant theme except this maybe theme of wisdom. I would call wisdom a God-centered perspective that results in God-honoring behavior. A God-centered perspective or mindset or worldview that results in God-honoring behavior that ultimately benefits us. That's wisdom. Folly, or the life of a fool, according to the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, is a self-centered perspective that results in self-destructive behavior. That hurts others, ultimately. And the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Proverbs and the Old Testament itself presents these two roads, the road of wisdom and the road of folly, and, and that we are given the choice of whether we'll walk in wisdom or whether we'll walk in folly. And so if I could give you a metaphor, I imagine the wisdom is like a keel on a sailboat. It's that piece that goes from the bottom of the boat down into the water. It's the invisible part of the boat. When you see a, a boat on the water, you think, oh, what a nice thing. And you think you see the sail, but, but below is this thing called the keel. Wisdom is like a keel. A keel is a flat blade sticking down into the water from a sailboat's bottom. It has two functions. It prevents the boat from being blown sideways by the wind, and it holds the ballast that keeps the boat right side up. And wisdom is what's below the surface. It's what people don't see, but it's what holds us upright as, as, the, way, as, as the winds of life beat against us, and, it, what's, and it, what's, it keeps us on target and on track with God. Wisdom. And so as we come to Ecclesiastes chapter 10, he begins with this idea of that, you know, wisdom makes decisions carefully. He says in 10 verse 1, dead flies make a perfumer's oil ferment and stink. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Of course, you know, there's a fly in the ointment or pick your, your favorite fly in the soup joke here, right? You know, the, one little bit of folly can destroy a whole bunch of wisdom. The thought that came to my mind as I was preparing this of course it's great cup weekend typically in canada although not this year 
But in 2009, it was a bitter Grey Cup weekend because I was living in Calgary, and we had lost the week before in Saskatchewan, to Saskatchewan. And we were hosting the Grey Cup, and there was Saskatchewan playing Montreal. You guys remember this? I'm, I'm just pouring salt on the wound here, but just so you get it. At 428 of the fourth quarter, Darian Durant scores a 16-yard run, and the lead is 27-11 to 11 for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, who had a worse record in the season than the Montreal Alouettes when they were playing. It was, it was supposed to be the upset of, of the century. The writer for the Leader Post from Regina was already typing his little article. You know, this is going to be the, the win of, of Saskatchewan that, you know, to, for, to memorialize for, for decades and decades and decades. And then as he's typing, something's happening. Anthony Cavillo is throwing passes. <laughs> ben Cahoon is catching them. And pretty soon the, the lead is gone. He closes his laptop as he's writing because suddenly, you know, they, they've scored. They're going for the two-point convert. They miss. Saskatchewan's still winning. But they go two and out, and suddenly it's Montreal tromping up the field. The time has run out, and they're attempting a field goal, I believe, from the 47-yard line. 43-yarder, sorry. And everyone's watching, and he kicks the goal, the ball, and it goes up, and it goes up, and it goes to the right, and it misses, and, it, and all the Saskatchewan fans are like, yeah, yeah, we won, and all of a sudden, whistles are flying, flags are flying. Remember? The 13th man. <laughs> Who was that guy? Nobody knows to this day whose responsibility it was. There were too many men on the field. One mistake. Oh, 10 yards. Another chance to kick because you can't end a game on a penalty. Boom, right through the uprights. And victory becomes defeat. I'm sorry, I shouldn't be saying this illustration in Saskatchewan, but uh, you understand it just takes one, one little mistake and everything can be lost. You can have a, a great business career, but then you make an ethical and a moral mistake in your dawning in, in the twilight of, of your career, and everyone will remember that one mistake and not the 20 years of great business or 30 or 40 that you had before. Folly can just get in there and disrupt a winning run if we're not careful. Wisdom makes decisions carefully. To their credit, no one knows whose fault it was. No one on the Saskatchewan Rough Riders was ever blamed for that mistake. Well, maybe the coach, but, but, but you know, which player wasn't supposed to be on the field? Who knows? No, no one has been blamed. They took it as a team and, and to their credit, but, but one mistake cost them the championship. He says, wisdom makes decisions carefully. And he goes in verse, on in verse 2, and he says, a wise person's heart goes to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Of course, he's not talking about political views here, but he's, but he's not. But you could quote that if you want. You know, that, that's, he, there wasn't this political spectrum in 3,000 years ago, but uh, I know here in Alberta and Saskatchewan, we're like, yeah, this is definitely biblical. You know? <laughs> but uh, he's talking about the, the right path. Uh, right represents what is worthy of effort and pursuit. It's going God's way, according to Chuck Swindoll. It's going God's way. The the wise person goes God's way, but the fool says, no, I want to do it my way. Do you see the difference between wisdom and, and, and folly? Wisdom says a God-centered, mindset, perspective, worldview. Folly says, no, my way, self-centered. I'm going to do it you know, the way I think is right. And it says in verse 3, even when the fool walks along the road, his heart lacks sense. 
and he shows everyone that he's a fool. It's obvious. He, he may be attempting to, 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 to walk on, on the path that, that is right, but, but it's, it's obvious by, by the way he's, he's behaving that he's not following God's way, or she's not following God's way. But also, you know, wisdom is amplified in leadership. In verse 4 it says, If the ruler's anger rises against you, don't leave your post, for calmness puts great offenses to rest. The reality is wisdom and folly are amplified in leadership. And, and that's why he keeps talking about the king throughout this, this book. Because 3,000 years ago, that was the reality. There was a king in authority. And when authority, those in authority make poor decisions, it affects everyone underneath them. We know that. We've experienced that in our provinces, <laughs> in our country, maybe in your school, maybe in your workplace. You've experienced that in your family. Someone who God has pointed, has given leadership doesn't take that leadership seriously, doesn't walk in wisdom, and it affects everyone underneath them. But he says, look, when you're in that position where that leader blows his gasket, just hold the course. Keep the keel deep in the water and ride out the storm. The temptation is to fight back. The temptation is to quit, run away, and say, I'm done with it. But he's like, just ride it out. Calmness puts great offenses to rest. The Proverbs would say, you know, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Think about that. I mean, sometimes you want to accelerate it. Sometimes you want to get into it. I mean, but he says, you know, if you're in that position, just, just hold the course. Just grab onto the rudder and let the wind blow against you and ride out that storm. And he says in verse 5, there's an evil I've seen under the sun, an error proceeding from the presence of the ruler. The fool is appointed to great heights, but the rich remain in lowly positions. I've seen slaves on horses, but princes walking on the ground like slaves. He's like, sometimes the wrong person is in the, in, in, the, in the wrong place. But the reality is when your keel is in the water and you're going in the course of God's direction, you just trust in him in the midst of those storms. Wisdom is amplified in leadership. Wisdom is also, it recognizes the risks in life. You see that in verse 8. It says, the one who digs a pit may fall into it, and the one who breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. The one who quarries stones may be hurt by them, and the one who splits logs may be endangered by them. I mean, every aspect of life has risk. The one who drives a car may get into an accident. The one who runs agricultural machinery may get caught in the PTO. You know, you, you know you're working in, in heavy oil. You, you, you may find yourself in an explosion. I mean, there are risks in every aspect of life. And the wise person anticipates and expects it and, 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 and counters for it, makes the right moves, and, and, but understands that, that things happen in life. And we just need to take it and keep the keel down and ride through the waves. Continuing on that theme, he says in verse 10, if the axe is dull and one does not sharpen its edge, then one must exert more strength. However, the advantage of wisdom is that it brings success. And so I brought along with, you, with me today the axe and the stone, right? See, wisdom takes what God has given us and it sharpens it. But, you know, how do I get sharper? See, because, you know, if, if you have a dull axe, it's hard to split wood. This one here is particularly dull, and we try doing kindling, and it's tough. If you ever watch those lumberjack competitions, those guys, I mean, they, they're, they're, you could probably shave with their axes. They're so sharp, and you, you watch them as they chop the wood. These big chips come flying off. But 
dole axe kind of bounces off the wood. Tiny chips, it leaves dents. It's like sharpen, sharpen, hone the axe so that you can be more effective in life. So how do you do that? Well, in order to gain wisdom, we need an outside source to guide us in that. And so God's given us his word. And as we read the word of God, we begin to sharpen our lives. Every day, more sharpening. And the sharper we get, the, the, the more effective we are in life, the more success we have in life. But when we refuse to, to find God's wisdom, we, we, we just we keep dulling our acts. And so every day we come and we're looking for wisdom. Wisdom also comes when we surround ourselves with other people of wisdom, with other people that are walking in the ways of God. And as they're around us, they also help to sharpen us. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. If you don't have good friends that are pursuing the path of wisdom, that have their keels down into the water, this is not going to happen in your life. That's why it's so important that we have a church, that you're part of a family, that you journey together with other people. On your own, it's hard to stay sharp. And it's hard to find success in life. So wisdom takes what God has given to us and it sharpens. He continues. In verse 11, he says, If the snake bites before it's charmed, then there's no advantage for the charmer. I mean, maybe another proverb you could say, you know, don't count your chickens before they hatch. You know what I'm saying? He's like, you know, there's a snake there, and he's thinking, oh, yay, I, I can, you know, make a big business out of this, but if it bites them, then it, it's gone. He's like, anticipate the, what could happen and, and, and make the right, you know, adjustments as necessary. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. Wisdom is evidenced in our words. We see that as it goes on there. Verse 12, the words from the mouth of a wise person are gracious, but the lips of a fool consume him. Grace in the Hebrew is this word hand. It says, it means an attractive personality which creates a favorable impression. If you have someone those people are hopefully you are those people in your workplace that when it, when a situation is going out of hand when you speak to it it just calms everyone down oh yeah they're happy when you are at a meeting or when you walk into a room are they well if, if you're walking in wisdom and you're sharpened like i just showed you your presence will bring this pres- this grace course as followers of jesus as we walk into rooms and as we participate in work groups we should bring the very presence of christ into that place and people say man i'm so glad when she's on the team it just seems to calm everything down and you know especially today with all the negative and pessimistic messages that are out there and they're awful if you watch the news go on the internet the people of god bring this message of grace into the room the message of Christ into the room. Gracious words. I think of that story in John's gospel. This woman caught in adultery is brought to Jesus. Thrown on the dirt in front of him. And they're ready to stone him. Rabbi, this is what the law says. Let's, you know, she was caught in adultery. And I'm sure there were all sorts of words hurled at her. You can just imagine the words that were given a woman like that in that culture. And Jesus just kind of scribbling on the, on, on the ground. He's like, okay, well, whoever's without sin, let him cast the first stone. And when the oldest guys leave first, pretty soon there's no one left. He's like, where is everybody? Where are your condemners? 
they've left. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Words of grace and life. Words that all of us need to hear from Jesus. We've all blown it. We all find ourselves, you know, in a heap on the ground at different points in our life. And, and maybe you're watching today and you're like, yeah, this is where I'm at. I'm, I've totally messed up and I'm just in this heap and, and people have insulted me and, and I just don't know where to tune. And Jesus turns to you and says, I'm not condemning you. I forgive you. Go and sin no more. Wisdom is evidenced in our words. And he goes on there talks about, of course, the fool. The beginning of the words from his mouth are folly, but the end of his speaking is evil madness. Yet the fool multiplies words. He just keeps talking and talking, and she keeps talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and and making no sense. It's like the guy that said, you know, all my wife does is talk and talk and talk and talk, 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 and talk, talk, talk. And it's like, well, what does she say? I don't know. She never says it. You know, she just keeps talking, talk, 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 talk. You know, it's the fool. He talks, he talks, he talks, he talks, but it makes no sense. No one knows what will happen. Who can tell anyone what will happen after him? Who? It says in verse 15, the struggle of fools weary them, for they don't know how to go to the city. Everyone knows how to go to the city. All major routes eventually ended up in the city in the ancient Near East. I mean, that's, that's where all the trade happened. But this guy, is, he's talking, he's wandering. He doesn't have a keel down, and so he's not able to navigate. He's blown around in circles and circles and circles. And says, this is the reality of the life of folly, a self-centered life. You go in circles around yourself. It is the most boring, hopeless life possible. The life of the fool. That life is illustrated in... A classic children's book, Wind of the Willows. (laughs) In this story, these adventures of these animals, toad, badger, rat, and mole. And toad, of course, is the consummate fool in the book. Always doing crazy things. They try to rescue him from his folly, his friends, badger, rat, and mole. And toad tires easily of good activities. He's lazy and prone to wanderlust and self-angardizement. He easily loses all fear of obvious consequences and gives animals a bad name by his furious driving and his smashes and rows with the police. And the wise badger tells him, Independence is all very well, but we animals never allow our friends to make fools of themselves beyond a certain limit. And that limit you've reached, he's saying to him. This is how we need to think about and handle fools. Walking outside of wisdom is perilous. It's dangerous. And Toad doesn't seem to realize it. And his animal friends keep bringing him back to the thing. And this is the reality. As Solomon writes this book 3,000 years ago, he says, man, people get off course. They don't have a keel on their sailboat and they're going in circles. And, and it's up to us that, that are wise to, to help point them back to the, point, to the path of wisdom. But walking outside of wisdom is perilous. He goes on in verse 16. He says, Woe to you, land, when your king is a youth. Oh, sorry, verse 17. Blessed are you, land, when your king is a son of nobles and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Because of laziness, a roof caves in. Because of negligent hands, the house leaks. You see, wisdom is 
productive and not lazy. And I've got a picture here. This is a lazy person <laughs> in the wintertime in Lloydminster, right? Why scrape the whole windshield when all you need is just the one little square to get through? Here's the other one. This is one of my favorites right here. Don't take the door stropper out of the package. Just put the package in the door, right? That'll work. Laziness. Wisdom, on the other hand, is productive. You see, in the ancient Near East, they had these flat roofs, and they used lime. And so you had to keep treating the lime and making sure that there was adequate lime on there. If, they, if it dried up, it would crack. And then when it rained next, the, the water would get through those cracks. So you would always kind of keep applying lime and, and packing it in. And it's the same kind of maintenance that we do in life in order to, to, to live successfully. I mean, you should change your, your filter on your furnace. You should change the oil in your car. You should check your, your, your shingles. I mean, this is normal maintenance of life. You should check your health and, and make sure you, you're, you're tracking with what's going on in your body. He says, but because of laziness, a roof caves in. Because of negligent hands, the house leaks. You see, wisdom is productive. He ends the chapter he says a feast is prepared for laughter wine makes life happy and money is the answer for everything do not curse the king even in your thoughts do not curse a rich person even in your bedroom now i don't know if he's talking about current political realities but if he was some of you are are, are sinners <laughs> do not curse the prime minister the premier the mayor the principal the ceo the cfo the coo whatever for a bird of the sky, it says, may carry the message, and a winged creature may report the manner. I mean, the reality is we need to be careful. Wisdom takes care and watches what comes out of one's mouth. And then he gets to chapter 11. He continues this theme. He says, send your bread on the water, or cast your bread on the water, and after many days, you may find it. Now, historically, this has been a, a picture of generosity. Spread out your wealth. Spread out your wealth. Other commentators have said this is the idea of the diversity of investments. Don't just count everything into one possibility, but be diversified in your investments. Spread out your investments. You see that in verse 2. He says, give a portion to seven or to eight, for you don't know what disaster may happen on earth. Even Solomon had whole fleets of ships that got stuck in storms and upturned and he lost a bunch of money and investments. But he says, you know, be diversified, but I think it, it could be both. Be generous. Some people wait till they die before they're generous. It's in their will. I would say do it while you're living. You want to bless your children, grandchildren? Do it now. Don't wait till you're dead. Uh, you want to invest in ministries? You want to build churches? You want to help Bible colleges? You want to support missionaries? Do it now. Don't wait till you're dead and your kids are going to do it for you. Do it now. See, wisdom is generous. He says in verse 3, if the clouds are full, they will pour out rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the north, south or to the north, the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. See, sometimes, you know, they, they, they would try to read the signs, right? Okay, I'm, I'm going I'm to, you know, if the, if the tree lands this way, then that means we need to do this. And if, if the rain comes here, then that means this needs to happen. He's like, look, the reality is rain's going to rain, trees are going to fall. That's just the way it is. Don't try to read into life in the things that you see going on around you. That's just life. There's not omens in the way the tree is lying. It's not omens in the cloud of, of what's happening, what the gods are trying to do. This is just life. It just happens. The wise person says, yeah, you know, there's, there's clouds up there. Obviously, there's something coming, but I'm holding the course that God has placed me on. 
He says in verse 4, one who watches the wind will not sow, and the one who looks at the clouds will not reap. This is the procrastinator, the person that's always looking ahead, trying to, to figure out you know, what they should do and never quite making a decision about it. I, I have this cartoon here. I don't know if you can read it, but this is what it says on the bottom. This guy's sitting at his desk. He says, I'm not procrastinating. I'm proactively delaying the implementation of the energy-intensive phase of the project until the enthusiasm factor is at its maximum effectiveness. <laughs> you might want to screenshot that later. You can tell your, your parents, your teacher that. I'm, I'm proactively delaying the implementation of the energy-intensive phase of the project until the enthusiasm factor is at its maximum effectiveness. You see, the wise person plans and then acts on the plan. doesn't just procrastinate. Let me tell you a personal story, an embarrassing story. 2018, I moved here. And in November, it was a horrible snowstorm, awful. Deep snow drifting all through our yard. We live in the country. And luckily, I own a snowblower. But at minus 30, it was not happy to be started after a year of rest and not, not using. It wasn't going, and, and so I'm taking the spark plug wire off, trying to figure out what's going on, and as I take it off, it's so cold and so brittle that it just snaps. I'm like, oh, darn, eh? So I, I put it somewhere. To this day, I don't know where. And, uh, and I'm like, I'm going to fix that thing. And of course, 2019 came and went, and it was never fixed. And, and just this week, I, I, I took that thing out. I said, yeah, I should fix this. And I'm looking, actually, I took a picture of, of the thing. I tried to find the model number, so I go online and get the part, but, but it never happened. I just kept procrastinating because I didn't have the, the uh, energy-intensive phase of the project in my heart. I just didn't want to do it. You know, this is life, right? I don't want to do it. I don't feel like doing it. I don't do it. And guess what happens? It snows, and it should be nice to have that snowblower and I'm looking at a project still in front of me. And I'll get to it eventually when I feel like it. <laughs> but wisdom doesn't <laughs> amen to that. So. But we all have those stories. You all have that creaky door, that burner that doesn't work, that light that you haven't changed, that garage door that doesn't open properly. I mean, we, we all have it. But wisdom says, okay, I'm going to tackle the challenges of life, and do the things that need to get done. He says in verse 5, just as you don't know the path of the wind, or how bones develop in the womb of a pregnant woman, so also you don't know the work of God who makes everything. And he's bringing it back to God. He's like, he said, you know, God is working in this world. And the key to, to getting through life and, and, and in all of its storms and its uncertainties is just remembering that when you worship Him and you walk in His way, you choose the path of wisdom, He will look after it. This is the thing about being trustworthy. We've all found that there is, I mean, personally, that's what I've found, there is no one in all of life that I can trust like I can trust God. There is no one who has consistently done what He says He will do in my life, and in the history of this world like God. You can choose to trust in whatever you want. Science, medicine, you know, the stars. I mean, you pick your poison. But I'm telling you, as I look at the history of God in the Bible, and I experience it in my own life, in my limited years that I've been on this earth, I'm like, who has been the most trustworthy? It's been God. I don't understand everything he does. And nor do I claim to, and no one can claim to, but I can trust him. Even as we navigate this season of life, 
And you wonder, who can we trust? Where, who's giving us the right message? And everyone's just scrambling. They're doing under-the-sun solutions, chasing the wind, futile efforts, and, and, and maybe something good will come. Let's keep praying that they find some answers. But the reality is, who can we trust through all this storm? We put the keel down deep, we hold the rudder, and we ride straight through trusting God. Who? So you also, you don't know the work of God who makes everything. He says in verse 6, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening do not let your hand rest, because you don't know which will succeed, whether one or the other, or if both of them will be equally good. He's like, basically, when you're a farmer, you don't say, okay, canola's selling high, let's put everything into canola, because what happens if, if the canola, you know, freezes? Well, you have a field of barley over here. You have a field of wheat, maybe some flax. And hopefully one of those, as they ripen at different times, will be successful. Hopefully they all will, but if one field dies, freezes, gets eaten by locusts, the other one will survive. He's like, you know, don't stop working. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Trust in God's timing. And he says in verse 7, light is sweet and is pleasing to the, for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if someone lives many years, let him rejoice in them all and let him remember the days of darkness since they will be many all that comes is futile, meaningless, vanity, havel, as he's mentioned throughout this book. He says in verse 9, Re- Rejoice, young person, while you are young. Let your heart be glad in the days of your youth and walk in the ways of your heart and in the desire of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. Here's, and he says in verse 10, we'll just kind of remove sorrow from your heart. Put away pain from your flesh because youth and the prime of life are fleeting. And he's setting us up for the final chapter here. But what he's saying is, take life, live it, and enjoy it. Now let me give a word of wisdom to you older people. You people that are well-meaning and, and, and are loving, but you're like, oh, I'm so glad I don't have to raise kids in this generation. You're not helping us when you say that. I'm saying, oh, they got computers and internet and pornography and this and that and all, all, all. Don't do that. Every generation has its challenges and its temptations and, and the same sins are repeated in different ways in every generation. Read the Bible. Full of sexual sin. Full of it. Chock full of it. Homosexuality is not an issue in this day. It was an issue, you know, years ago, centuries ago. Uh, you know, Adultery, you know, greed, jealousy, murder, you know, violence. This has been going on ever since sin entered the world. Older people encourage young people to seize life that God has given them. To not be afraid to live your life. To not fear what might come down the road. Because, yeah, who knows what's coming down the road? Nobody knows. Only God knows. That's why it's so important for us to turn our hearts back to God in this time in which we're living. You don't have the answers. No one has the answers. He has the answers. The person of wisdom <laughs> every day comes to God's word. Man, I need, I need, I need your sharpening, Lord, because I don't know how I'm going to cut through the, the stuff that comes to my way today. Help me, Lord. And we surround ourselves with godly people that, that give us good advice, and we read his word every day. We pray, and we, we walk with him through the journey, and he sharpens us, and he strengthens us. We discover the value of wisdom in everyday 
life. Wisdom is a God-centered perspective that results in God-honoring behavior. And he's given you a whole bunch of pictures of what that looks like. Pick the one that applies to you today, because one of them does. Is it laziness? Is it procrastination? Is it your, your words? Is it your presence? Is it your worry? Have you been prone to folly in your life? We all have at seasons made some pretty poor decisions. But the good news is, is that God picks us up and helps us to develop that keel that enables us to navigate life, which is uncertain. Logs fall on top of loggers. <laughs> Miners get buried in their quarries in which they're quarrying stone. Cars sometimes fall on top of mechanics. Boilers blow up for power engineers sometimes. Hopefully not. But life is uncertain, but we can trust God's certainty and he points us to wisdom he says young people rejoice rejoice in your youth watch follow god let your let you know he's given you these desires we're hardwired for wisdom so discover what that what that is and, and it only comes when we come to god's word and feed ourselves you can't discover wisdom on your own you need god's help and he'll bring us to the final conclusion next week which is so critical as he talks about getting old and he says okay Here's the lesson. The key lesson of this whole book is found next week. <laughs> so come back, watch, and we'll keep trusting God. No matter what happens, we can count on Him. Would you pray with me as we close? The team prepares to lead us in this closing song. As our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, you may have a burden on your heart today, a fear, a worry. Maybe it's a sin that's come to mind that you've wandered away from God's path. Today's the day to make it right. Today's the day to surrender. Today's the day to bring the, the, the weight to God and ask Him for wisdom to build a keel in your life so that you can navigate the storms that are around us all the time. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. It speaks a living message. Guide us in the path of wisdom. May we bring the presence of Christ into every situation we find ourselves this week, Lord. I pray for forgiveness for our sins. Keep us from the path of falling. I pray especially for our young people, our children, our youth, our young adults, that you would just help them discover the joy and the rejoicing of life that you want for, for, for people entering into, into life in its fullness. Help them to find that as they walk with you, life truly is full and great, even when there are difficulties. And thank you for Jesus, our Savior. Without him, wisdom would be impossible. He is the embodiment of wisdom. You showed us wisdom when you sent Jesus into this world and help us to follow him and to believe in him. This week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.